מסכת בבא קמא דף קי"ו דלת מכריז רבה ויתמר רב הונא דסליק לעילה ודנחתין לטאטאה רבה would announce and some say it was רב הונא who would announce to all those uh, who would uh, make aliyah go from Bavel to Israel or travel and go down from Eretz Yisrael to Bavel he said that the following rule applies to all Jews no matter where they are and where they're going היי בר ישראל דיידד סעדותה לגוי ולא תבעו מיניה ועזל ועשה את בדיני גויים על ישראל חברי משמתינן ל-any Jew who knows testimony that uh, regarding a fellow Jew who is in uh, a dispute with a non-Jew. In other words, he has testimony that his fellow Jew owes money to a non-Jew. And he knows it's, it's the truth. Um, but the non-Jew did not ask him to come to court to testify. And he came on his own. He comes on his own. He volunteers this information. He goes to a non-Jewish court and volunteers the information in a non-Jewish court and testifies against his fellow Jew, we put him in excommunication. If the non-Jewish court, the non-Jew went to, Jew, went to the non-Jewish court and said, I know this Jew, ask him, he has testimony, and they summon him, all right, then he has to go. What is he going to do? Not show up? They'll get in trouble. Fine, if, he summon, if they summon you, you have to go. But you go without summoning? then excommunicated. Why? The reason is because non-Jewish courts will extract money based on just one witness. And he's the only witness. If they had, if the, let's say it was a, a Jewish case, all Jews, and they went to a Jewish court, the Jewish court said, very nice, you have one witness, but you can't take money based on one witness. And so now he's going to a non-Jewish court. And if in the Jewish court, they would not make a person pay based, based on one witness, and a non-Jewish court will, this person, by volunteering that information, is doing something wrong because this is it's not sufficient. He's illegally um, uh, causing the, that Jew to pay when even in a Jewish court, he with another Jew, he would not have to pay. So this rule only applies if he's one witness. However, let's say there's two Jewish witnesses that, but that, that together they have testimony about Another Jew that that Jew owns, owes money to a non-Jew. If they go to a non-Jewish court and testify voluntarily, that's okay. Because even in a Jewish court, based on two witnesses, that Jew would have had to pay. So therefore, um, it's appropriate. It's okay if they go. We don't ex- excommunicate them. And we only excommunicate a single witness who goes and volunteers to testify if he goes to a local magistrate. It's these local little courts. Uh, they would make someone pay based on one testim- one witness. However, if he goes to the official government courthouse, the official government ho- courthouse will only make a, the defendant make an oath. Just like in the Jewish court, one witness is sufficient to make the other side take an oath, but not to pay. And so therefore, since that's okay, they're not going to make the person pay unjustly, then we will not excommunicate a sing- even a single witness that goes to the official government court. Based on what we said above, Rav Asher says that when he was in the house of Rav Huna, the following question was asked, what about a very important person who is relied upon like to, even by the government court, right, 
the, the, the official government court that usually will not take, uh, take someone's money based on just one witness, but based on two they would. But if it's a very important official person, then they'll rely on that person like two. And this, and this Jew is such a person who is relied upon. And so since the non-Jewish court will extract money based on him, so maybe he should not go and testify because in a Jewish court, even an important person, you wouldn't rely on, on uh, his testimony. And therefore, since in a Jewish court, we would not allow uh, the money to be extracted. So uh, therefore, he should also not go to a, a non-Jewish court um, because this is, even though it's an official government court where we just said that you're allowed to go to, but the official government court has a different rule for important people and they will extract money. So therefore, he shouldn't go. Or do we say, since he is an important person, there's no way he's going to get out of testifying. He's a well-known person, and so they're going to know about him, and they're going to know that he has testimony about it. And so he's going to have to end up going no matter what. That's the two sides of the question, and they left it standing. Ravashe teaches another law about business relationships between Jews and non-Jews. And he said, let's say there's two Jews that are neighbors. They have land right next door to each other. And one of those Jews sells his land to a non-Jew. Uh, we excommunicate him. Why? My Tama. Is it because of the law of neighbors? The law regard of the law of neighbors um, is that um, if someone, a Jew, buys or sells land, he um, has to offer it. Let's say he's selling land. He has to offer it first to his neighbor because a neighbor has a right to the land right next door to him. If you have a field. And you know you're plowing your field. Um, it's worth more to the neighbor to have a bigger uh, field that's all right next to each other um, than if he has to go buy something far away. And then he has to keep moving all his supplies and animals back and forth. It's harder to manage. So uh, the, we, there's a right. The first right of refusal goes to the neighbor. Therefore, a seller of land, a Jew who sells land, has to ask his neighbor first, right? Or do you want to buy it? And if the neighbor matches the highest price that he can get on the market, then he has to sell it to he has to sell it to the neighbor first. So is that the reason why we're excommunicating this guy? Because this neighbor here, he sold it to a non-Jew, and he didn't uh, offer it first to his Jewish neighbor to buy to buy it. If that's the reason, that can't be because we have a statement that anytime you sell land to a non-Jew or buy from a non-Jew, there's no the the law of bar misvah does not apply. Uh, you don't have to offer it to the neighbor first if you're selling uh, land or if you're buying land from a non-Jew. Also, you don't have to ask the neighbor, the Jewish neighbor of the land that you're buying. Oh, do you want the first right to buy it? Is responsibility both to the seller and the buyer. Usually, when if it's all Jews, that they have to. Ask Ask the neighbor first, but if the buyer or the seller are not Jewish, then the Jewish seller or buyer do not have to ask the neighbor. And therefore, that would not, the law of Bar Misra, Bar Misra would not apply in this case. Rather, the reason is because the Jewish neighbor can say, you put a lion next to me. Uh, Non-Jews were not always on such good relations with uh, Jews, and especially if you're living in the, you know, in the Persian Empire, and who knows what kind of person you're bringing. He's got He's a, he's a Zoroastrian and he has something against Jews and he's going to cause trouble to me uh, all the time. 
So that's why we excommunicate the Jew for selling it to someone who's going to be a thorn in the side of his Jewish neighbor. And therefore, we apply the excommunication until that seller accepts upon himself any harm that comes. If that non-Jew should cause you trouble, the seller has to come and pay for it. New Mishnah. Uh, customs official comes and takes your donkey and gives you a different donkey instead. Um, so you see these customs officials are kind of thieves, right? As we saw before, a lot of times they may be working for the government, um, but they uh, take extra things for themselves once they have that, they abuse their authority. So let's say they have a donkey and they're walking along and they say, you have a nicer donkey. They says, oh, customs official, we have to seize your donkey, but don't worry, we'll give you a, another donkey instead. Maybe it's not as good. Whatever reason, they're switching it. Now, the donkey that the, this customs official had, he probably stole it from someone else in turn. Or another case of a thief. Um, he has a, he sees your coat and he says, give me that coat. And he gives you a coat instead. So the thief is probably upgrading, right? In the previous block, he stole someone's coat. And now he's walking another block. He says, oh, your coat's nicer. So he switches it. So he's giving you stolen property. Now, although he took your, your item, that still doesn't give you the right to accept stolen property of someone else. But the Mishnah teaches you can keep that donkey and you can keep that coat that he gave you. Why? Even though it's stolen property, we, uh, we can assume that the original owner despaired of finding it. And once the uh, owner despairs, then that's it. It becomes the property of the next person. And here it's also uh, shifting over uh, to the, to, he's uh, changing uh, possession. And so that added to the, to the despair. So now it's yours and you can keep it. If you're able to salvage something from a river, see something floating down the river, oh, and you can get it. Or from troops, some, some soldiers, soldiers would come in and stay someplace and they would take stuff, or actual robbers. And you're somehow you're able to go and salvage something from the robber. So obviously you don't have to give it back to the robber, it's stolen things. Uh, but you have to give it back to the original owner. So if the original owner despaired, then you can keep it. Um, if the original owner did not despair, then you have to return it to them. Um, and similarly with a beekeeper. Um, his bees went away and went somewhere else, and you find those bees. So it depends. If the original beekeeper is despaired of finding their bees, then you can keep them. Otherwise, you have to return them. Like finding and anytime you find a lost object. Uh, regarding the beekeeper, uh, let's say there's bees over here and we don't know where it came from, but there's a woman or a, or a minor who generally um, cannot or not uh, cannot give uh, are not uh, trusted to give testimony. Um, however, for this, if they say we saw these bees, they came from that person's courtyard. He's the original beekeeper. Then we trust them. They're just describing what they saw, and that's good enough, and we can accept that as testimony, such that whoever finds it cannot keep it, but has to give it back to that original beekeeper. The original beekeeper, that, that was his, if he sees that his bees went to someone else's property, 
he is permitted to enter into that person's property, trespass in order to salvage his bees. They are his. They are his. So that's permitted. However, if on the way while he's going through this that other person's property, he causes damage. He steps on some crops. He has to pay. Right. Although. The owner of the field where the beekeeper is, yes, it's his responsibility to give back uh, and to allow someone to come in, but he doesn't have to accept damage of the beekeeper, so the beekeeper has to pay. However, um, if the, the hive is on a branch in that other person's uh, field, so the beekeeper who owned it originally cannot go and, and purposely chop off the branch and then say, oh, I'll pay, I'll pay you for your branch. You can't purposely cause damage in someone else's field. If it happened by mistake, you tripped on something and and uh, and uh, uh, ruined some produce or broke something, then okay, pay. But you can't purposely go ahead and take it. Argues and says, no, the beekeeper can even go and cut off the branch. That's the easiest way to get the bee the beehive back is you cut off and take the whole branch. Okay, so you pay for the branch. How much is it? Um, otherwise, he's going to have to go and shift all the bees somehow. They, they usually follow the uh, queen bee. Okay, you got to get the queen bee. It's a very difficult process. And uh, therefore, he is, it's permitted for him to pay for the branch. Here we have a Braita that actually disagrees with the first clause of the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that if uh, so if you take something from the um, uh, customs uh, official, he gives you a donkey, he, uh, there it said you can keep it because uh, we can assume that the owners uh, despaired of getting it back, the original owners from whom this uh, customs official or thief took it from. Uh, but here in this Braita says, if you take that donkey or that uh, coat, then you have to return it to the original owners. Why? The author of this Badaita thinks that even if the original owner despaired, nevertheless, a despair alone does not make an acquisition. You need despair plus uh, a, a probably a change in the item itself. You have to turn it into a different item. You take uh, um, a, a scarf and turn it into a sweater. Okay, now you did something uh, uh, significant to it. Now it's a new item. Um, but despair by itself does not make an acquisition. And therefore, the individual who got it from the thief uh, got it as uh, illegally and therefore has to return it. But the author of Amishnah would say that despair is sufficient, right? Is despair and uh, and he uh, transferred ownership and that's sufficient. But there's another version of the Braita that actually agrees with our Mishnah that says if you want, a customs official gave you, took your donkey, gave you a different one and you know who the owner is. If you want to return it, don't return it back to the customs official. He stole it in the first place. Rather, return it return it back to the original owner if you want to. Why? Because according to this version of the Braita, despair alone is enough to make it uh, to make it uh, 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 change possession, and therefore uh, you don't have to return it. But if the receiver says. I, even though he, the owner, original the owner despaired, and therefore technically from the letter of the law I can keep it, but I don't want it to keep have have a donkey that's not mine, and I know that it was it was stolen came from someone else. 
I prefer to return it. So if you want to return it, don't return it to the thief. Return it to the original owner. This is again a quote from the beginning of the Mishnah that if the thief uh, switches something for you, takes your coat and gives you a different coat, you can keep it because you can assume that the original owner had despaired. When can you uh, keep the item? Only if the thief is not Jewish. But if the thief is a Jewish thief and he comes and says, give me your coat, here, take this coat instead, then you have to return it to the original Jew from whom this thief stole it. Why? Because the original owner of that coat that now is in your hands will think to himself, if it's a Jewish thief, he'll say, oh, that Jew stole it from me. I'm going to take him to Betin. I'm going to take him to court and get it back so he doesn't despair. However, if a non-Jew steals from him, then he despairs. Oh, that non-Jewish thief, how am I ever going to get it back? And that's and he despairs. Therefore, if a non-Jewish thief gives it to you, you can assume that the owner despaired. But if a Jewish thief gave it to you, you can assume that the original owner did not despair because he's going to bring him to court. Um, that's what Avashe said. Matkif la Rav Yosef. Adraba ipecha mistabera goyim de dayne begite la miyash Israel kevan damar memar miyash. Rav Yosef says actually it should be the opposite. Would make more sense since non-Jewish courts they use force. Um, they're, they're Rav Yosef and Rav Asher in Persia. All right, you go to a Persian court. They have court. They have a they have a court system. They have lots of citizens from different ethnicities and uh, and religions, and they have an official court system. And their court system is very powerful. They have the the power of the state, and therefore in their court. If you, if uh, the original uh, Jew who owned that uh, who owned that coat in the first place, if a non-Jew steals from him, that Jew will take that non-Jew to Persian court, and Persian court will uh, beat him up, do whatever they have to. Right? They don't allow stealing, and they will get the coat back. Therefore, it's actually the opposite. If a non-Jew steals that guy's coat then uh, he will say, I don't despair, I'm going to take him to the Persian court, and the Persian court will do a good job, and they'll get it back. And therefore, if the non-Jewish thief gives it to you, you can't keep it. However, if it's a Jewish thief, then what are you going to do? You're going to take him to Jewish court, Betin. But Betin, we learned something actually very important from here, that Betin did not have the power and authority from the Persian government to use force. The Betin, similar to Batedin uh, today in America, um, they can issue a command, you should pay, but they can't go and uh, 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 withhold your assets um, like a civil court could. Um, you'd have to then go to civil court to uh, to, to do that. And so, uh, Betin, like today, so too in Persia, um, since the original uh, guy who, uh, victim, who, who then the Jewish thief takes his coat, the victim's going to say, what am I going to do? I'm going to take him to uh, Betin. The Betin's going to say, oh, you really, you're a thief, you should return it. The guy's not going to listen, and the Betin won't have authority to beat him up, and I'm never going to get it back. So you know what? I despair, forget about it. And therefore, if uh, the thief is Jewish, and he takes your coat and gives you a different one, and the other one is stolen, then you can assume, since it's a Jewish thief, the original 
uh, owner despaired, and you can keep it. Very interesting. Since this is convincing, Rav Asher's statement over here, Lo Shanu, if he said it, he must have actually said it on the continuation of the Mishnah that says, If you can salvage something from, here it says Goyim. In the Mishnah it says, I'll show you. Um, and the Mishnah said, Masil Migayas. Okay, a Gais, which means troops. You see that this is the original Gais, and it's very easy to change from Gais to Goyim. All right, it's almost the same letters. Samech and Memsofit look the same, and Yods and Vavs also look very similar, especially in manuscripts. The Yods are long, uh, used to write the Yods longer than we do today, and the Vavs a little shorter. Okay, anyway, so Gais um, turned into Goyim, uh, but it really means if uh, the point is uh, uh, Troops, not just any non-Jews, uh, not generally or thieves. Um, so troops or um, uh, or thieves. If you're able to salvage something from them, if the original owners despaired, then you can keep it. Now, if you don't know, right? If you, you have to find out. If if they if you know they despaired, then yeah, then you can keep it. But if you're not sure then you have to assume that the original owner did not despair, and you have to return it. It's about this that Avashah Only if the thief is not Jewish, since um, the original owner of the item um, is going to be able to take that non-Jew to non-Jewish court, a non-Jewish court will force him to return it. Therefore, if we, unless we know for sure that the original owner uh, uh, despaired. If we're not sure, we have to assume that the original owner did, did not despair if the thief was not Jewish, because then, generally, they would not despair because they can take him to a forceful court. However, if the thief is Jewish, since uh, the, you can take him only to Betin, and Betin does not have the power to force him to pay, therefore we can assume, unless we know for sure that he didn't despair, if we just don't know, we can assume that the original, the original uh, victim despaired because it's a Jewish thief and he won't be able to bring him to court. And that's what Avasheh, in fact, was talking about. So it's an agreement with Rav Yosef's uh, analysis. Tenan Hatam. There's a Mishnah in Masechet Kelim that teaches, Orot shel baal habayit metame'atan. Veshel abedan en metame'atan. If you have a hide, now uh, the law regarding Tum'ah is Tum'ah does not apply to something that's not finished yet, right? If you just have like a clay thing, mold, and you're just still making it, but it's not yet a bowl, it's still not, it's not finished. Even if something Tameh touches it, it's not Tameh. Uh, something only a vessel can become Tameh, and if it's in the process of becoming a vessel but not finished yet, then it does not become Tameh. Now, there are certain items that could be finished at different stages, like leather. A piece of leather by, is useful by itself. You can use it uh, to lie down on, you can use it as a table mat, or you can turn it into something more. You can make a shoe out of it, you can turn it into a writing surface. So it might be finished now, it might be uh, not yet finished, depending on the intention of the owner and what he's going to use it for. So therefore, this Mishnah teaches that if it uh, belongs to a balabite, a personal one, Right, I own this uh, hide, and I intend that uh, I'm going to use it as is, as a tabletop. 
Well then, it receives it can receive tumah now. If not, I I intend that I'm going to make a shoe out of it. Then it doesn't receive tumah. So it's to, since it's mine, it depends on, on whatever I'm thinking. However, if it belongs to the leather worker, meaning it's in the store. So then, hit the leather worker's intention does not ma make a difference. He has it on display there, and even if he writes on it here, buy, buy this, you can use it right now as a tabletop. Yeah, but the buyer might come in and say, actually, I'm going to make a shoe out of it. So therefore, it's not in its final process, uh, because this, this is the leather worker who's only going to be selling it to someone else. And that's why his intention does not matter. Now, the Mishnah continues. Shel gazlan en metameatan, shel ganav metameatan. If you have a gazlan, that's a robber in the middle of the day. Um, so he is known, right? The, the victim, is, I saw him, I saw him take it. And since, the, since he knows who it is, so the original owner will not despair on getting it back because he'll say, I know who the robber is, I'm going to take him to court, I'm going to get my item back. Since the owner keeps it and does not despair, therefore the robber cannot determine that he's going to use this leather item as is, or he's going to change it into something else. Since the robber is not the owner, he, he cannot decide uh, its uh, status of being impure or not. However, Vishel Ganav, if it's a Ganav in the night, a nighttime thief, where uh, the owner was sleeping, he, see, he, he broke in the middle of the night, went in stealthily, left, and so the owner has no idea who it is. He has no idea who it is. How am I ever going to get it back? So he despairs. Since the owner despairs, the Ganav uh, has the, uh, keeps the item. He's the, it's in his possession, and therefore... If this nighttime thief says, I'm going to use it as is, then it becomes uh, susceptible to Tum'ah. Otherwise, it's not susceptible to Tum'ah. But since now he owns it, he's the one that determines. That is according to Tanakhama. However, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Chilufa Debarim. Rabbi Shimon has an opposite logic. Shel gazran machshava metameatan, shel ganav en machshava metameatan, lefi sheloni jashuha be'alim. If it's a daytime robber, so you see this guy, is not scared. He's uh, just a mafia boss. He comes in the middle of the day and just grabs this item right out of your hand. Since he's not scared of anybody, the owner says, forget about it. I'm never going to get it back from this mafia boss. And he despairs. And therefore, it's the daytime robber who can determine uh, its status for Tum'ah. Whereas the Ganav, the nighttime uh, thief, um, he is, is a scaredy cat. So the owner says, I'm going to find him. I'm going to ask around. I'll find out who it is. I'll check my security cameras. And then we're going to get him. I'm going to confront him since he's so scared. Um, I'll be able to get it back. And therefore, he does not despair. And therefore, the uh, nighttime thief uh, does not uh, um, uh, uh, retain control and uh, decision-making about whether he's going to use it as is or continue. Therefore, he does not have a st um, his opinion about uh, the item does not cause it to be susceptible to Tum'ah or not. All right, that's the two different opinions in the, among the Tana'im. Now we're going to have a Machloket Amora'im about that Machloket Tana'im. Amar Ula, Machloket Bistam. Um, this controversy between Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon is when we did not ask the owner, right? The owner is not around to ask, and so now we have to just assume what would most people say. But everybody would agree, Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon, that if we know the owner is here and he says um, that I do not despair, 
um, then, uh, or if, if he says, I do despair, right, forget about it, no matter what the case is, then the thief or the robber, no matter what, they uh, acquire it and they decide if it will be susceptible to Tuma or not. So Ula makes sense, right? They said, yeah, I despair. Um, but Rabbah Amar Biyadu'a Nami Machloket. Rabbah's a surprising opinion. says, even if we know the original owner is here and he says, I despair, I'm never going to find it. Still, there's a machloket in that case. Okay. Abaye challenges Rabbi. Says, "What? Don't argue with Ula. Ula makes sense because look at the wording of the Mishnah. The Mishnah says." That in, in whatever case uh, uh, they they say, let's say Tanakama, uh, that's the uh, Gazlan, uh, where we uh, the owner is not going to despair. It says in the case of the Gazlan, uh, since it's uh, it's known who it is, so the owner does not despair, right? So we can infer from that language of the Mishnah, Tamad the only reason why the robber does not get it is because the owner did not despair. Therefore, if we know that the owner did despair, we heard him say so, then uh, the robber will get it. It will be his, and it will be his 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 um, prerogative to determine its um, level, uh, its whether it's susceptible to tuma or not. So that Abaye says the simple wording of the Mishnah follows Ula Rabba. Why do you argue? So Rabba says I have a little bit of a different reading in the Mishnah. Uh, I don't I don't read it because the original owner did not despair. But rather because the original owner would not despair. There is no despair for owners. In other words, even if the owner is here and says, I despair, I'm never going to find him, forget about it, I don't want to bother. Nevertheless, deep down inside, he has a hope that he's going to find it. Everybody has hope that they're going to find their stolen item. At least for some amount of time, they're still thinking about it, no matter what they say. So it doesn't really matter what they say. Everybody wants to get it back. No owners truly despair. And therefore, according, according to Rabbah, um, this, the Machloket applies no matter what, whether the owner says he despairs or not, we go by the uh, psychological assumption. And again, that psychological assumption is different from for, for Tana and uh, Tanakama and Rabbi Shimon. Okay, now we have a question. Tenan, natlu mochsin hamoro vechule mane. From the first uh, section of our Mishnah, that the customs collectors uh, take his donkey or robbers. Uh, come uh, 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 or thieves come and take his uh, um, and take his uh, uh, coat. Um, so the Mishnah gives two possibilities. Um, the customs official is someone that comes in the middle of the day. He just comes straight out and takes uh, takes your donkey and gives you a different one. So that would be the same as the gazlan. Whereas the listim mentioned in the Mishnah, we right now we're assuming that's 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 talking about a nighttime thief. Now we ha- here's our question. The Mishnah said in both cases we assume that the owner despaired and therefore you can keep the donkey or the coat. 
Now this is a problem because it can't, it doesn't follow any of the opinions here. If you follow Rabbanan, Rabbanan only said that there's despair for a ganav, but not for a gazlan, and a customs official is a gazlan. So why does he say um, that you can keep the uh, donkey in the case of a gazlan? And if the Mishnah is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon only said, only said that a gazlan uh, is something that you can keep, but not that of a ganav. And the listim in the Mishnah is a ganav, and so therefore uh, there should not be despair in that case. Nobody says that there is um, that there is uh, de- that there is despair in both gazlan and ganav case. That's the problem. Now we can answer half the question. According to Ula, actually we could figure out a scenario. If we know, we asked the victim, and he said, I despair. So according to Ula, as long as he says, I despair, then it doesn't matter whether it's a ganav, whether it's a gazlan, according to both Rabbi Shimon and Tanakama, they all agree, if he said, I despair, then he despairs, and that's why you can keep the item. And that's what the Mishnah is talking about when we know that he said, I despair. But according to Rabbah, who says, even if the victim says, I despair, doesn't matter. We look deep down and, and, and really he doesn't want to. Now who's the author? It can't be Rabbanan, it can't be Rabbi Shimon. Because neither of them say that in both Ganav and Gazlan, that in both cases there's despair, as the Mishnah says. And the answer is, When the Mishnah says, A thief, we thought that was talking about a thief in the night. But actually, it's not true. Listim could have two meanings. And here it means a, a, a thief who comes uh, with uh, weapons. Um, and he's coming in the middle of the day. So this, is actually a gazlan. Uh, and it's the opinion, and the whole Mishnah is the opinion of the Bishimon. And so it's really giving two examples of gazlanim. And according to the Bishimon, when it comes to a gazlan, um, since he's he, since uh, the, you see that the gazlan is not scared, like the customs f- official is not scared, he's a tough guy. That's why the original owner says, "I despair. I'm never going to be able to get forget it from this person." And so there you go. The Mishnah is all the opinion of the Bishimon. Yachi hainu gazlan gazlan. But that introduces a new problem. If so, then. Uh, the customs official and listim are both gazlanim. Why do you need, why do you have two examples of gazlanim? And the answer is we have two types of gazlanim. One comes with the authority of the government, although he's taking more than his share. Um, that and the other one is just a regular common daytime robber who comes with a gun. And so uh, these are two different types of gazanim. You might think maybe one and not the other. And that's why the Mishnah gives both examples. All right, we have another similar challenge. Tashima, haganav hagazan v'ha'anas, hikdeshan hikdesh, utrumatan teruma, umasirotan ma'aser. Abraita says that both a ganav and a gazlan, and also uh, someone who extorts money. Like he pays like a little bit to, uh, to buy something that's really worth more. In all these cases, if this thief, robber, um, makes it consecrated, it is consecration. Now, you can only consecrate something that belongs to you, not belongs to someone else. And also, let's say he steals produce and he separates terumah, that terumah is, is, is really terumah. And again here, terumah doesn't work. I can't give, make it separate terumah on something that's not mine. So that means he really acquires it. And same thing with ma'asir, it is officially ma'asir. So that means in all these cases, he in fact really acquires these things for himself. Whenever we say acquire, of course he has to pay back. 
um, what he stole. The point is, um, does is his possession considered now uh, uh, under uh, his authority uh, such that he can decide uh, these things uh, make take to Duma, take Ma said, decide if something is finished or uh, or not for uh, Tuma. Okay, so Mane, who is the author of this Badaita? Ida Banan Kashia Gazlan, Ida Bishimon Kashia Ganav, same problem as before. If we say that this uh, Badaita is the opinion of Rabanan, then Rabanan only said that for a Ganav. Um, one, the original owner despairs, but not Gazlan, but here it mentions Gazlan and it says that the Gazlan owns it. And if you say, see, that this Baraita has the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon only, uh, Rabbi Shimon only said that uh, for a Gazlan, the original owner despairs, but not for a Ganav, and yet here in this Mishnah, it also mentioned Ganav as as uh, being that case where the owner despairs, and that's why both the Gazlan and the Ganav um, they can make something hektesh. Who says that? Who, who says that in both cases with the owner despairs? Now we have half an answer. Everything's okay with according to Ula because Ula says if we ask the owner and he says I despair, then everybody would agree that. They, he really does despair, and then the thief, the uh, robber, they get ownership. And so this Baraita is talking about a case where we know that the owner despaired, and therefore um, uh, this Baraita could be Tanakama uh, and also to be Shimon. However, according to Daba, where even if the owner says, I despair, still there is a machloket, so who could be the author of the Baraita? Not a banan and not a Shimon, because neither one says that there is despair both for Ganav and for Gazlan. And the answer is Hachaname Bilistim Mizuyan, Bribishimon Hi, Achi Hanu Gazlan, Tere Gavne Gazlan. Okay, we could be here also when it, where, when it says um, that uh, we're talking about a Ganav. The Ganav in this case is not the usual Ganav in the night, but rather we're talking about uh, an armed robber who's coming during the day. And uh, an armed robber um, is, uh, is therefore actually a gazlan. So even though calls him a ganav, he's really a gazlan. He's under, in the category of, of a gazlan. And therefore, this baraita also can be the opinion of the Shimon. Now we ask, if the gazlan, ganav is also a gazlan, so why are you, why are you mentioning two categories? This two, they're both the same. And the answer is, well, they are both gazlanim um, in the sense that uh, they, they, they come in the middle of the day, um, but there are two different types uh, of gazlanim, and so the Benaita wants to inform us that both of these types is true, but in fact, if it was really a ganav who came in the middle of the night um, and was scared, then the original owner would not despair, and in that case, the ganav would not be able to make it ektesh or to take turma or maaser. That's one answer. Alternatively, this baraita is the opinion of Rabbi, who, and Rabbi's opinion is that the, uh, the law of a ganav and the gazlan are the same. And therefore, in that baraita, when it says ganav, it means really a ganav, a nighttime thief, a gazlan really means a gazlan, but it doesn't matter, the law is the same for both. Now, the law is the same which way, right? Like, uh, like Tanakama or like Rabbi Shimon, Kaimalan, we're going to actually prove this uh, in the next section, that Kegazlan Rabbi Shimon, that um, it's that according to the B, a ganav is the same as a gazlan, 
according to the Bishimon. The Bishimon says that a gazlan uh, is not scared and therefore the owner despairs. And so the B says that's true for a ganav also. Therefore, according to the B, the uh, original owner despairs in all cases. And that explains this Braita. That's why the ganav or gazlan or anas who takes the item can make it hekdesh or take teruma or maaser. Now they mentioned this opinion of Rabbi, let's analyze it further. Gufa. Rabbi Omer, Omer Ani, Ganav Ke Gazlan. Rabbi says, I say, uh, um, the law of a Ganav is the same as a Gazlan. What does Rabbi mean when he says this? Does he mean that they're both the same as a Gazlan? according to Rabbanan, um, and uh, where there's no despair, and therefore the Gazan does not acquire it? Or does he mean that a Ganav and the Gazlan both have the same law of a, gaz- of a Gazlan, according to the Bishim'on, who says that a Gazlan, the owner does despair, and the robber does acquire it? Here's the answer, Tashima. Nathlu Mohsin Hamoro. Challenge, uh, 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 proof is going to be from the beginning of our Mishnah that a customs collector or a thief uh, takes someone's donkey or cloak and gives him a different one. You are allowed to keep that donkey and the cloak that he gives you because we assume that the original owner despaired. So, mane. And so, irabanan kashagazan irabishimon kashaganab. Same question as before. Who is the author of the of the Mishnah? If it's Rabbanan, well, Rabbanan would only say that there is despair and you could keep it with a ganav. That would be the case of Listim. Banat the gazlan, so we have a challenge from gazlan. And if it's Rabbi Shimon, then Rabbi Shimon only says you can keep it um, because there is despair in the case of gazlan. Uh, the, custo- the customs officers, but not in the case of Listim, which is ganav. So who says that you could keep it in both cases? Uh, which is what the Mishnah says. So we have uh, we have an answer. If you say that Rabbi, when Rabbi says Ganav is like a Gazan, what he meant is it's like a Gazan according to Rabbi Shimon, who says that a Gazan is there is despair, and so according to Rabbi Ganav also. So therefore, this Mishnah can be the opinion of Rabbi. And that's why he says Ganav and, and Gazan is the same, and both the owner does despair, and that's why you can keep it. But if you think that the B said a Ganav is like a Gazan according to Rabbanan, and Rabbanan said a Gazan, there's no despair. And uh, and there's no acquisition. So then, who would be the author if you if you felt felt that if you followed that path? Lord B, Lord B Shimon, Lord Banan. It's not a B. It's not a B Shimon. It's Rabbanan because uh, the B says there's no despair. In, there's despair in no cases. And the B Shimon Rabbanan or Ish say there's despair in only one case. So there we have no answer. Uh, so we say actually there's no proof from here. We could say that when the Mishnah mentions the case of listim, that's not talking about listim that are uh, nighttime uh, that come in the night, but rather um, they are armed robbers that come in the daytime. And so therefore the whole thing is the bishimon. And if you ask, well, that's the same as the gazlan, right? In that case, listim. 
Gazlan is the customs official, and the steam is also people that come during the day uh, with uh, armed robbers. Well, then that's the same as Gazlan. So why do you have two types of Gazlanim? Yes, yes, exactly. It's two types of Gazlanim, and the Mishnah is teaching us that in either case, the owner does despair. And so we could explain the Mishnah, uh, even if we think that Rabbi follows Rabbanan's uh, opinion regarding Gazlan, for both Ganav and Gazlan. All right, let's try another proof. Tashema, HaGanav, HaGazlan, V'Hanas, Hekdeshan, Hekdeshu, Shumatan, Teruma, Masrotan, Maasir, same baraita we had before, that Ganav, Gazlan, and someone who extorts money, once they take an item, they can consecrate it, they can take Teruma from it, they can take Maasir from it, which means the owner despaired in all these cases, and that's why the um, uh, thief here, Owns it. If this is the opinion of Rabbanan, so that's the problem of Gazlan. Why should he uh, get it in the case of Gazlan, where according to Rabbanan there's no despair? And if you have, a, if it's if, if the Braita is follows Rabbi Shimon, then we have a problem with Ganav because there's no despair there. So why should he keep it in all cases? So if we say that uh, according to the B. Ganav is like a Gazlan of Rabbi Shimon. So that means in both Ganav and Gazlan, there is despair, and that's why the um, thief gets possession in all cases, and this is the opinion of Rabbi. But if you think that Rabbi thinks that Ganav is like a Gazlan of Rabbanan, where there's no despair, then we have a problem because we have no author for the Braita. And then we answer, this is no proof because we could say, Ganav here actually refers to an armed thief, but Rabbi Shimon, he, um, and it's all the opinion of Rabbi Shimon because the Ganav and the Gazlan are all Gazlanim. We ask, Well, then you have Gazlan twice. It's just, uh, why would you have a repetition? And the answer is yes, it's two types of robbers, and it wants to inform us the halacha is true in both types. Now we will bring a final proof about what Rabbi said, and this comes from Rabbi's teaching to his son Rabbi Shimon about the Mishnah that we already learned, that if a father steals something and then the son inherits it, so the son does not have to return it, uh, but if the son inherits land, then he will have to return uh, it from the value of the land. Now, about that clause in the, in the Mishnah, the B told his son, when it says, uh, it doesn't mean literally something that you can serve as a guarantee to a loan, which means land, but rather it's actually talking about even a cow that, um, uh, that, that he uses to uh, plow, or a donkey that the father used, um, that he drove, and this is a stolen item, that also the son has to return. Because of the honor of the father, people will recognize this is the cow, this is a donkey that was stolen. Look at that. Look how the right look how the the, the son has it because the father stole it will bring dishonor on the on the father therefore the son should uh, should return it however it's only in these cases that he has to return it but if not if it was an item that was not recognizable and would not bring dishonor to the father then they do not have to have to return it why don't they have to return it it means that 
um, uh, the B thinks that the, we assume the owner despaired, and therefore despair works, and uh, therefore um, once uh, the the uh, he, once the father stole it, and now it goes to the sons. The sons do not have to return it; it's their possession. So we can tell from here that according to Rabbi Ganav and Gazan both have the same law that there is despair. That's the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. Because if Rabbi followed the Gazan uh, um, uh, category of Rabbanan, where there's no despair, then the sons would have to return everything. But they don't. So that is a final proof that Rabbi thinks that a Ganav and a Gazan have the same law, in, in both cases, the law of Rabbi Shimon, that there is despair, and uh, once uh, uh, and uh, therefore the um, thief uh, can uh, does possess it. So back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah mentioned that if someone uh, is able to retrieve items from a thief or from the river, um, then if the owner despaired, then you can keep it. If not, then you can't keep it. And then it adds another example, also a uh, swarm of bees. If the owner despaired, then you can keep it. But otherwise, if you don't know, then you cannot keep it. So now what's Vechen? Why is it adding yet another example? What does this example of the swarm of bees add that the previous uh, examples didn't uh, didn't have? It's teaching even a swarm of bees where the original owner only owns it on the Drabanan level. The Deoraita law is that things that move around by themselves like birds and 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 bees and uh, 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 things that fly um, even if it's in your on your property you don't own it on the Dodaita level because it moves around by they move around on their own they go over fences and everything so therefore there's no way of owning this type of thing however the Rabbanan say oh no you can own it we want to prevent fights because people are bee beekeepers and they right they and they they take care of them and so there's a sense of ownership for sure so this but the ownership is only on the Rabbanan Level. Therefore, we might say that the owner, the original owner, the beekeeper, since he knows that his ownership of the bees is only the banan, once they fly away and he doesn't know where they went, so we might think that he is going to despair, right? Since my, my ownership was only the Rabbanan in the first place. And now they flew away, and I don't know, they're on someone else's field somewhere. You know what? I despair. Forget about them. That's what we might have thought. And therefore, the Mishnah teaches us that only if you know that the owner is despaired, then you can keep them when they come to come onto your land and you find them. But if not, if you don't know, then you have to assume that the owners did not despair, and you have to go and try to return it. Amar Rabbi Yochanan ben Meroka, Ne'emenet said that you can rely on the testimony of a minor or a woman to say that oh the the swarm of bees came from that person's land and then you then you assume that it's really that person's and you have to return it to that original beekeeper. We ask, why can a woman and a minor give a testimony? How can we uh, take uh, accept their testimony? So says the name of Shemuel. Actually, we're talking about a case where the uh, owner is running after the bees, like, yeah, they're mine, they're mine. And 
the woman or minor uh, were speaking in an offhanded way, saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we saw it from there. Not that they're coming to give official testimony. So actually, kind of ironically, when someone's, someone's not giving official testimony in a court, but they're just you know, talking, they're just, uh, uh, they don't realize what they're saying. They're just uh, 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 speaking what uh, what's happens, to, happens to be on their mind. We can actually trust them better. Right. Um, it's like, uh, you know, if uh, someone uh, non-Jew tells you this is kosher and they're like testifying, well, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not. But if they happen to be talking, oh, you know what, this, um, uh, you know, I put uh, this ingredient, I didn't put that, that ingredient. He's talking just because he's talking about recipes um, and he doesn't know that you need to know whether it's kosher or not. So then you can believe that person. So they're more believable. So in this case also, um, that's why we believe them because they happen to be talking and there's circumstantial evidence that it does belong to this guy. So we take all that together and that's why. But otherwise, we would not be able to trust uh, the testimony of a, a woman or a minor just by itself. And so, um, but now we reject this and say, no, even though she's just speaking offhandedly, uh, that kind of testimony is not generally accepted, but except for testimony regarding a woman to allow her to get remarried. Right? If a woman is uh, speaking offhandedly and saying, oh yeah, that person divorced, or that person died. Right? And then, so based on that, uh, will allow a woman to get remarried because we don't want them to remain in agona and remain stuck. Um, that's what that's in that case will be lenient and rely on offhanded uh, statements, but not in other cases. Is that true that you don't rely on um, But in the case of what we just mentioned, uh, the beehive, where Mishnah said that you do rely on. Uh, a woman who's uh, speaking offhandedly. So how come he's saying only in testimony about marriage? Here's a testimony about who owns the beehive and you trust it. No, that's different because the ownership of the beehive of the beekeeper originally was only midrabanan. Since he only owned it midrabanan, so therefore the whole the stakes are lower, and we can uh, rely on a woman speaking offhandedly. Udoraita So now you're telling me that if in a doraita case we never um, follow testimony of someone speaking offhandedly. We have a fantastic story of someone who we weren't sure if this person is a Kohen or not. But then the person said, I remember when I was a child and I was I was so small I had to I had to ride on my father's shoulders. I was still too little to even walk, uh, or at least to walk a lot. And one time they took me out of school. Why is it important that they took him out of school? Tosafot says it means that he was not a slave. He must have been a free person, because slaves don't go to school. Okay, so he was in school, and they took me out of school, and they took off my robe and and put me into the uh, into the mikveh, and then uh, that night uh, they allowed me to eat teruma. Therefore, I must be a kohen, because only a kohen can eat teruma. Um, a, a slave of a kohen could also eat teruma, but we now this proves since he went to school, he wasn't a slave, and based on that. 
um, because of that, he was he was a minor. So how could he how could he testify? Um, but he was uh, speaking offhandedly. He was just telling a story. It wasn't a testimony in court. So I said, oh, what an amazing story. I think also they, the details show that he's telling the truth. I was in school. They took me off. I remember where it was. I remember what I was wearing. So then that lends credibility. And therefore, since he's speaking offhandedly, we do rely on it. And this is a case of Deodaita. Furthermore, in that story, the Bichanina um, had a continuation of the story. He says, my friends would separate from me. And they would say, Yochanan who eats hala. In other words, they were like very impressed. Oh, you're a Kohen. You're very special. And so based on a testimony, the B said, you are Kohanim. So we see that we do rely on Masih Levitumo. And the answer is, in that story, they didn't really give him Deoraita Teruma, but only Dirabanan status Teruma. So again, we can rely on testimony of a woman or a minor, Masih Levitumo, if they're just speaking offhandedly, but only for a Dirabanan case or to allow someone to marry. So we're still we're going to further question, really? In a Doraita case, we wouldn't accept it. Um, when Ravdimi came to Bavel, he said in the name of Ravchana from Carthage. Or some say Ravacha from Carthage. Some Chana or Acha from Carthage um, uh, uh, said the following: Maase ba lifnei rebi Yosho ben Levi. Vamri la maase ba lifnei rebi. Okay, so uh, uh, the following story happened in in front of rebi Yosho ben Levi or rebi. All right, a lot of questions about the names of the tradents and the name of the person that's happened to. Anyway, here's the story. The story goes that uh, there was a child who was just speaking offhandedly. And he said, me and my mother were both taken, uh, captured by non-Jews. Now, when a woman is captured by non-Jews, we suspect that they uh, assaulted her. A woman who is assaulted can marry Yisrael, but even if it's against her will, she cannot marry a Kohen. That's the law. That's to be uh, uh, that's, uh, that's already in the category of zona, even though even though it was against her will. But anyway, the kids continues and says, um, "When I went out to draw water, I was thinking about my mom, and when I went out to get wood, I was thinking about my mother. In other words, I was conscious of her all the time and making sure and guarding her and uh, seeing what was going on with her." Um, and he said, "Right, that they, no no one violated her." And uh, the B heard that, and even though it was a minor, but he was speaking offhandedly and he said he said we can trust that in fact she was not violated and she can marry a kohen now that's a torah law so how could that be and the answer is bishvuya hekelu for a captured woman the rabbis are also lenient just like they're lenient regarding marriage to allow someone to 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 get married here also, it's a case of marriage and a captured woman. We feel bad for her that she had to go through that ordeal in the first place. So now, to make life even more difficult for her, we don't want to do. Okay, the halacha still is that um, someone who was violated can't marry Kohen. But if we can find some leniency and accept such a testimony, we allow it. But in a general case, if it's a doraita, not related to marriage and not related to a captured a person, uh, then we will would not rely on the offhanded testimony of a woman or a minor. Avaloyakos et socho. 
The Mishnah said that um, uh, the beekeeper, if he knows that's his bees that went, in, that went into someone else's land, um, he is not allowed to go and take off a branch um, and then pay for the branch later in order to take the bees more easily. However, the Birochalim ben Baroka said it's permitted. Tanya, Rabbi Ishmael ben Oshel Birochalim ben Baroka. So uh, we have a Baraita that explains his reasoning that he says this is a condition of Betin, right? Betin is in charge of all uh, uh, monetary items and they make a condition. Any, any, anyone who has a field um, uh, so uh, agrees to this condition that if some swarm of bees should go into your field and then the owner wants to come and take it, he has permission to cut down the branch so he can take the whole swarm more easily, and he has to pay for the value of the branch, and then, you know, it's good for everyone, so that's why he's allowed to do it. Otherwise, it wouldn't be allowed. Now that we're talking about conditions of Betin, here's another stipulation that they made, that if someone has a barrel of honey, honey is more valuable than wine. And the, the, barrels, the barrel of honey got a hole in it, and now his honey is starting to pour. He's going to lose all the honey. Someone else is walking by with a barrel of wine. The person with the barrel of wine should pour out his wine, catch all the honey to save the day. But now, it's very good that he didn't get him a favor, but now he lost his wine. So the owner of the honey should pay, must pay, the owner of the wine for the wine that he lost, and that way, that way, it's um, uh, is a, a least a, the least loss for everyone. Well, the person who has the wine shouldn't shouldn't lose out anything. He's doing a favor. The person who had the honey, uh, although he'll have to pay for the value of wine, will at least gain the difference between the value of the wine and the value of the honey, which is more. And a similar stipulation of the Betin, that if someone has a donkey uh, loaded with wood, and then he sees someone else whose donkey fell, and that had flax on it, and that, that, that if he leaves them alone, the flax will all get ruined. Flax is more valuable than wood. So the owner of the wood should take off his wood, and the wood will get ruined, and uh, put the flax on his donkey that's healthy, um, and afterwards, the owner of the uh, of the flax will have to pay for the owner of the wood for the value of the ruined wood, um, because when Yehoshua um, gave the um, uh, uh, bequeathed the land to all of the tribes of Israel, he already included these conditions, and therefore everybody who owns land in Israel, it's on it's based on these stipulations that he owns the land that he will uh, agree to all these stipulations and agree to pay in in these cases when he needs to pay. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.